Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm Father John. I'm the executive director at Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. I'm here, as always, with my partner in mission, Mary Guilfoyle. How are you, Mary? Father John, I'm great, but I can't see you very well this afternoon. <laughs> this is a screen, right? So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had semis parading around outside our office in support of the Ukraine. Last week, we had, what, parade the people? St. Patrick's Day parade. <laughs> and uh, bongo drums and who knows what else going outside our windows. And today, our have, power went out. We have darkness. We're sitting in the dark. <laughs> so uh, if this doesn't sound as good uh, audio quality, our apologies. Um, this is the backup plan, right? But it's uh, kind of fitting given the topic, right? It is. Uh, so let me just go move into that right now. The, the topic for this afternoon's conversation is getting to the root of the matter. Ooh, I like that. Well, why don't we pray and then we can bust this Sounds open. Sounds like okay? a plan. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, uh, we ask uh, that you would ever so gently and graciously shine light into our minds and our hearts right now as we break open this important topic, mindful that the enemy likes to keep us in the dark. He likes to keep us confused, uh, to keep us frustrated. We ask that you would, uh, in your kindness again, just ever so gently show us where it is that we're not free so that we can grow in freedom and experience the freedom that your son came to give to us so that we might have the abundant life that he promised. Lord, we ask in a special way that those who are with us right now, who are listening, and who especially are struggling with anger, might experience a profound healing. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, Father Son, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit. So we got a couple quick reminders first, don't we? Yeah, so we've got two events coming up in Acts 29. The first one is the Columbus Revival happening June 18th. Revival in Columbus. Revival Crusade. It's going to be an incredible gospel event. We just want to encourage you guys to register for that. They can go to St. Gabriel Radio, Radio, right? So stgabrielradio.com. Great. That's the website. And then our running rescue event. Uh, it's a day of equipping with Acts 29 that's going to happen on Saturday, August 20th from 8 until 6 p.m. at St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Brighton, Michigan. Um, and you can register for that event by emailing our teammate and sister Lauren Wine. And her email address is wine, like the drink, W-I-N-E-L at actsxxix.org. So just encourage you to sign up. I think we have something like 31 dioceses right now represented. That's fantastic. Praise I love it. Lord. So this is for those who are going to be running, so not, not people who want to learn more about the Rescue Project, but those who actually want to lead it, coordinate it, right? right. That's what it's, that's for. It's an equipping day. Great. And it's a day, it really is going to be a day where um, we just want to immerse you in the culture and the texture that is the Rescue Project, because as we say often, it's not a program. We want this to be an experience love it. of transformation. Great. Two cool events. I love it. So let me set this up. We, we were fortunate last week as a team uh, and a family to be leading a diocesan chancery on retreat, which was just a time of tremendous grace. So we were with the bishop and, I don't know, close to 40 or so folks from the from the chancery. So that's the kind of the, the headquarters, right, of a diocese for those who aren't familiar with uh, what a chancery is. So it was mostly lay men and women. And there was uh, the bishop and, I don't know, maybe three, four, five priests. It was a spectacular mm-hmm. time of grace. It was awesome. And at one point, you got done with uh, the second day. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how we do our retreats typically. 
And there was a, one of the women on the team, I just loved this comment. She, as we were debriefing an experience coming out of prayer, she says, ah, I think I understand the reason you guys are here. And she said, the reason you're here is because we've had some brokenness on our staff. And I've realized through this that we're all walking wounded. That was so beautiful to her sharing just really... It was it was the quintessential comment that just sealed it for all of us. We had been sharing out what, what was the Lord doing in this day of healing. And uh, she came up with the universal truth, right, Father John, that we're all broken and God wants us to at least begin to step into that place of freedom. Yeah, we're all walking God wounded, whether born. this is uh, whether you work in a parish or you work in a diocese or you're married or you're single. We're all, um, we're all walking wounded. And the good news is Jesus came to, we're all Humpty Dumpty. That's how I often think of it. And Jesus came to put us back put us together back again. together again. Amen. So maybe just a, a quick reminder. So we, we talk all the time about how we think that the Lord has, has given to us, if you will, three what we call essential principles for bringing transformation and renewal in the church. And we've talked about this many times, so I'm not going to belabor it, but just to state them. So the first principle, these aren't methods or programs, they're principles. And they're very simple. They're just not easy to do. The first is just to reacquire a biblical worldview. So to learn to think again with a biblical mind and to get clarity on like, who's the Lord? Why did he make the world? Why is it messed up? What's he done about it? How should I respond? Out of which comes unshakable confidence. That's the first principle. The second principle is, uh, we've called it a number of different things right now. We're, we're playing with perhaps transforming it a little bit and calling it becoming a missional family. Meaning, it's not enough to be a staff, let alone a dysfunctional staff, which is the norm in most organizations and in most parishes and chanceries for that matter. We have to move from being a staff to a team, and then more than a team, we got to be a family. And then the last essential principle, um, you know, we often say is God has the plan, or perhaps maybe in a more active sense, we would say prayerfully learning how to discern God's plan, because God's got a vision for bringing renewal to our lives, our parishes, our diocese, and the answer doesn't come from brainstorming sessions. The answer comes from asking him to show us the plan, confident that he wants us more than us. So that second essential principle, it's really a combination of two things that are crucial for moving from a staff, whether it's functional or dysfunctional, to a team and then to a family. We always say it's both organizational health, it's like that the great work of like Pat Lencioni and the folks at the table group or Amazing Parish, but it's not enough to do organizational health because if I'm a part of an organization, or in this case, the church, and I'm not at least personally aspiring to be healthy, if I don't realize I'm walking wounded, well, then whatever I'm a part of, it's not going to be healthy, is it? Right. The team's not going to come together in a cohesive way, right? So we yeah. have to at least be willing to step into pursuing healing emotionally and spiritually. I love that. Right? And, and this is where the Lord just exploits the living daylights out of what he's given to you and the gifting that you have. So we typically do like say a three, sometimes it's a three and a half day retreat. Sometimes it's for priests, sometimes it's for lay faithful, sometimes it's for the bishop and his team, but it always follows the same format at the beginning, the first two days. The first day I just preach the gospel, mindful that uh, the gospel's power Right, And so it gives an opportunity just to soak anew again for some people for the first time, quite honestly, because we hear this from people, um, in like, who is Jesus? 
And what's he done? And it's, it, we, we share with them the way the Lord has given us um, this way of preaching the gospel, these four words, created, captured, rescued, response, which have a way of just kind of summoning into the mind's eye the entire biblical narrative. That's why we do it that way, right? So by the time we're done, those words, they make sense to people, and, and there's a story now associated with it, and out of which emerges this, like, unshakable confidence in the lordship of Jesus that he's not just kind. And that's that's actually one of the things I stress. Like, Jesus isn't just kind. He's not just compassionate. He's not just gentle. He's not just merciful. And it's kind of like a, a muscular Christianity, Christianity right? right? But then I hand the baton to you on day two, and you just come in ever so gently and say, well, it's true that he's not just kind, but he is kind. And then you kind of do all that you do. You just kind of let the Lord work through you. Share with uh, our listeners, like, how do you do that? Like, what are you trying to do? What, what is the Lord doing when you break open this day of healing? Because that's the second full day, right? So I, I would say simply put, so what you do, Father John, is you create an opportunity for an encounter, right? And it hmm. ends with you walking everybody through Peter's betrayal in John 21. And his reinstatement, yeah. And his reinstatement. So that that's where I pick up the next day, and we go back to that charcoal fire yeah. that we see in Scripture, and we start there. And we talk about Peter's betrayal, what Jesus has done for him. He's getting him back in the game. Hmm. And that failure for Peter was not a life sentence. Hmm. Which is what most of us think, right? Which is, which is exactly how we think. We live in those stuck moments. Hmm. And so, you, so that's where we begin. And um, I, I would say the, um, I often think of the encounter with Jesus as that first door that we walk through where we respond to all that God has rescued us from, from sin and death and Satan and hell. But there's more. We hear that all the time. We have a God of more. Hmm. And so in my mind, I like to think that the next big door you have to walk through is a big wooden door with this big brass knocker on it. And I describe it that way because I think it's a harder door to walk through. Hmm. And that's the door to deep healing and freedom. Because if we're going to be sent out for mission, so we say that the initial ardent proclamation of the gospel is to is meant to overwhelm us, yeah. where we surrender in faith, we surrender our whole lives to faith, in order to go out on mission, to be sent on mission. But most of us think we're disqualified because of what's in our for past, mission right? because of our pasts, our sins, our failures, our weaknesses. But God doesn't want to leave us there. He needs us. So we, we use that day to create an opportunity um, to allow the Lord to liberate us, mm. to free us in an ever deeper way. And you have this remarkable way, this anointed way of capturing for people the bad news. You really unmask the enemy. And I think in that second day, what I do is I continue to unmask the enemy 
in an ever greater way. So we hear in scripture that Jesus came to give us life and life in abundance, mm. abundant life. Yeah. That's precisely what the enemy does not want for us right. is abundant life. He wants us to live our lives with this very, very narrow false negative, yeah. a false narrative rather. And God wants to obliterate that in that day of healing. So we start with John 21, share a little bit, a little about healing in my own life. And then we walk people through some practical ways how we can identify where we might need God's healing, yeah. right, to be yeah. in. And then at the very end, we close that out with, what does the aftercare for all of this look like? What are those things that we can now do as we pursue the work of healing and I love in that. Our life. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. And, and we, we, uh, we're big fans of uh, Dr. Bob Schutz and the good folks at the JP2 Healing Center. Um, and, and I know you draw on a number of things that they use. And then and just the, the way you tell your own story, which is so powerful. And I've always had the image, you know, we always pray over each other uh, before we go out and, and preach and do whatever. So you all pray over me before I, I preach the gospel. We all pray over you. Uh, before you do this day, and I always have the image when we're praying over you that you're like a um, a physician, and the Lord's standing right next to you, and He's just putting these ever so delicate instruments in your hands to just kind of like get deep into someone's life ever so gently, um, so as to like cauterize a wound or to expose the wound and bring healing to it. So I'm just going to ask you to do that right now, and so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, many of us. Um, I think especially uh, over the last couple of years coming out of what we've come through, we, we've, we've commented and we've heard people comment on this on a number of occasions, like people just seem a little edgier now. You know, like shorter fuse, just a tad, right? <laughs> shorter fuses, more irritable. And, and many of us struggle with the, the sin of anger. So just for the sake of like, okay, let's take an example Bust open for you or for us, like how somebody whose whose struggle is the constant sin of anger, like just expose that for us right now, so that um, the Lord will bring light, the Lord will bring freedom, and you with those delicate little instruments can just uh, help us to experience more of the life that Jesus has for us. If that's our problem, so what's that look like? So I think we could even go back a little bit farther, Father John, than just starting with the deadly sin of anger. Okay. Because oftentimes, what, so think about the sacrament of reconciliation. When we go to confession, we are confessing um, symptoms, rather, of anger. Right. So those habitual things that we constantly bring to confession, they may be symptomatic of like a deeper heart or soul disease. And that might look something like, I'm critical, I'm judgmental, mm. I'm short-tempered, I'm whatever. Yeah. But that's but those are just symptoms of something deeper. And I know in my own life, I think I've even shared this when I've led these retreats, is that it was years, I think, before I even confessed anger. Mm-hmm. I just stayed up top. Like I didn't realize that what I was confessing, there was something deeper to that. Yeah. And so those things that I just spoke about, those are symptoms of the deadly sin of anger. Yeah. So let me pause and, you real quick because yeah. I know as a confessor, like I'm, I'm, I've, I've learned to do that well in the sense of, so someone will come and you know maybe it's critical or harshness or judgmentalism and, and um, I'll often just simply say, do you think that's the real problem? 
Oh, that's a great question. Or is that coming from somewhere? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And so it's this invitation to go deeper, just like you're talking yeah. about right now, right? Yeah. I mean, so, so it's so helpful, right? And, um, and so then, as a result of anger, where's that anger coming from? Hmm. Like, so in order to take that a little bit deeper, where's that coming from? Well, it's coming from a wound somewhere, hmm. whether it's in our childhood or whether it was five years ago, ten years ago. And so the wound sometimes that can be tied to anger, the deadly wound, yeah. would be powerlessness. Like, I'm angry because, so think of COVID-19. Mm. Uh, think of the situation in Ukraine. We have this sense of powerlessness. Yeah. We're angry. And why are we angry? Because we, we feel like we can't, we can't control that. We can't exert any sort of influence over that. So there's this powerlessness that is the fruit of a loss of control, which, by the way, this is revelatory, is an idol. So that wow. idol is that corresponding uh, 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 control is that corresponding idol. This rather. is this is so good because this this this, um, this just hits home. I think uh, certainly for me, and, I, and I'm sure for many people. So let me just stop you to unpack that a little bit. You said two things that I think we can. Yeah. I want to make sure that we understand appropriately. You mentioned um, wounds. So let, let's talk a little bit about wounds, and then you mentioned idols. Like I'm a 21st century American. I don't have any idols. So help me understand what you mean by idols, but let's start with wounds. What do you mean by wounds? Yeah, so wounds are caused by traumatic events in mm. our life, right? Um, and those traumas come in all forms, shape, and sizes. Okay. And then when these wounds don't get addressed over time, right? If they're just there festering, they don't yeah. get addressed, they create something akin to a stronghold. Oh. and strongholds are these um they're strongholds of the mind and our emotions because everything starts in the mind right everything i say that all the time the yeah. battle is always for the mind and and um and so these these strongholds of the mind and the emotions these are these are based on again identity lies and these false beliefs and these false narratives that we have about ourselves why because of that traumatic event. And COVID for all of us is something that we can all relate to. We've all experienced to some degree or another trauma. Yep. Whether it's, you know, having to social distance, not being able to be with our family, not being able to be with those that we love, losing ones that we loved, and all the while that 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 deadly wound is that powerlessness that we feel. Right. Yeah. We get angry. Boy, right? is that true? And you have a you use a quote oftentimes from uh, from Beth Moore about strongholds. Shared this. I mean, you were doing this last week, and Rick Pop on our team, he was sitting right next to me, and you you shared this, and he just went, "Oh, that is so spot on." Yeah. <laughs> Share I, this, would you? Yeah, I, I I love what she has to say. She says that strongholds are like concrete fortresses uh, that we construct around our lives, block by block, hmm. over the course of years. She says, we create them, even if we're not aware, for our protection and our comfort. And then inevitably, these fortresses become prisons. And at some point, we realize we no longer control them. Mm. They control us. I can't relate at all to anything that you're saying, Mary. And who wow. is it that wants to put us in that prison? Yeah, that's the enemy. That's the enemy, yeah. right? And so, but you wanted to go back to something which um, 
uh, we broke open this weekend in a particular way is what in the world is an idol because right. I think we'd all be very surprised yeah. when we talk so about So we tend to idol. think of idols as like, you know, stone gods mm-hmm. or, you know, we're, we're pinching incense to some statue that we have, but but that's They're that, not, that that was an idol, but um, idols are actually omnipresent in our lives too, aren't they as 21st century yeah, Americans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um So what's an idol? Yeah, so Dr. Tim Keller, who I know you and I both love and avid readers of his works. Um, Dr. Keller describes an idol this way. He said, it's anything more important to you than God. Ooh, stop right there. <laughs> Suddenly, this just became uh, uncomfortably close. An idol is anything, anything more important to me than God. Okay, keep so, going. It's not just that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you could, you, we could have a conversation just about, around that. So that means these can actually be goods. These yeah. can actually actually be good things. Uh, children. As well as Spouses, not so friends, good things. Right. right, right. So think about those things actually that keep us from stepping into deeper and deeper discipleship with God. So anyways. Okay, so okay anything, keep, keep applying the scalpel. Okay. So anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, you mean like March Madness right now, even though I'm doing Exodus 90 and Michigan's in the Sweet 16? Okay. And then anything that you anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And I want to stop here because oftentimes rather than go to the Lord, rather than go before the Blessed Sacrament and just let Him hmm. just let Him gaze at you we go to other things what are those other things they're anything that we seek to like we want to self-medicate ourselves it's it's all this numbing self-medication and because we live in the 21st century we have a lot at our disposal that can serve to self-medicate us whether it's social media or just shopping and filling your cart on amazon whatever it might be and then he said he goes on to say it's anything that you that you seek to give you what only god can Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose, should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Hard stop. Look at the suicide rate, Father John, over the last number of years. How many people have simply quit living because something happened, their idols were decimated and they just gave up. Yeah. Living. Yeah, I think I. I don't think there's anybody who's listening right now who just you know, if you've never heard uh, Keller's description of idols, um, that in and of itself would be just a great exercise to take that uh, definition and description and just go before the Lord and say, Lord, in your kindness, just explode, uh, expose these idols, because um, most of us probably don't think we have any when in fact we have a plethora yes, we of do. them. We don't have we? many layers. And you know okay. what? Just uh, it's worth mentioning um, Dr. Keller's book where he unpacks idols. Uh, the title of that book is Counterfeit Gods. Yeah. And it's a it's a tremendous book. Yep. Okay, so so we've got the sin of anger, we've got this wound of, of powerlessness, powerlessness, which has this corresponding idol. Which is control. Which is a, a okay, a, a desire for control. Right. Huh? Um, and then there's lies that get told around this, right? So what are the lies? Right, and so so think about, like, you know, this wound that we have. So the next layer that we insulate our our, our hearts with are these lies. Okay. And they're, and they're 
We know where they come from. They're not from God. They sound nothing like the promises of God in Scripture. These lies come from hell. But we tell these to ourselves. But we tell them to ourselves, or yeah. we, we lend our ear to the enemy, and we, and we say things like this to ourselves. I'll never let anyone control me. Yeah. Or, or um, I'll never be vulnerable again. I'll never place myself in a situation where I may get hurt again. I'm not going to ask anyone for help. So let me, let me pause you right there because um, uh, that's exactly what I did. So, you know, I talk about my abuse and what happened in my own life. And the result of that was I, 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 I didn't experience this as from the enemy. This was me saying it to myself because of what happened in my life. I just very deliberately started to, just like you were talking about Beth Moore's description of a stronghold, Block by block, I started building a wall around my heart. And the wall said, um, that will never happen to me again. I will never let anybody into my life to hurt me like that. Which, of course, means, well, then you're never going to be happy, right? Because <laughs> um, to say, I'm never going to be vulnerable again, or I'm never going to let anybody into my life again, means you're never going to have friends. If you never have friends... Right. Um, you're never going to know love. If you don't know love, you can't be happy because life without love is meaningless. But how many of us do this, right? Well, and the enemy says, you know, in the powerlessness, um, you can't trust anybody. These are the lies. Yeah. So I think more or less what we just talked about, I almost think like like those are the vows. Those are the things that we say to ourselves. Ah, okay. Those are the vows we make. The lies sound something like, I'm powerless. Yep. I'm too small. Yeah. I can't fix this situation. Ooh. If I try to press into this situation, it's not going to end well for you. Mm. The lie is, in all of that, is I'm stuck. Yeah, nothing's going to change. Those are the lies. But those are the lies. Yeah, the 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 vows which are things just, I say to those myself. Those are the things I say to myself. Ah, oh, there you go. And okay, it's like. Um, I won't ask anyone for help. Yep. I'm going to take control of my life. I'm going to be completely self-reliant. Yeah. And so we take this control, and of course, we know that's an illusion. It's an illusion that we ever had control. So it's important to make the distinction yeah. between the lies and these vows. Okay. The lies that we tell ourselves, because there's certainly lies within these vows. Right? Okay. All right. Okay, doctor, um, you've applied the scalpel very nicely. Thanks. Um, how do I get well? Like, what's the rem? So, say I struggle with anger. Um, how how do I get well? Like, how does how do I let Jesus heal and free me here? Yeah, you know what we use so many guided meditations, right? In the course of our retreat, one of them is the Good Samaritan. Mm. Uh, we break that open for everybody, and uh, uh, that's a great passage mm. to pray with, just to see yourself. As that man or that woman on the road, and as the Good Samaritan approaches you... Beaten and you, left for dead, right? Beaten and left for dead, right. and the Good Samaritan is Jesus. Yeah. And in a way, you know, Ignatius would say, you know, put yourself in the scene. Yeah, get in the ditch. Get in the ditch. You're already there anyway. Right. <laughs> and allow the Good Samaritan, who is the Lord, yeah. to come and minister to you. And, and just to allow the Lord to reveal to you where you're being held captive what's the what's your greatest wound what's your yeah. greatest hurt yeah and let the lord minister to you in that and there's something else too and i was thinking about this when we were with everybody last week it's jesus's gaze that brought liberty and restoration to peter 
And where do we experience the gaze of Jesus? In the Blessed Sacrament. There's something about just letting ourselves waste time with the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Jacques Jacques Philippe says something like, every time Jesus casts his gaze on us, he's saving us. What that means is every time that we allow the Lord to gaze on us, he's rescuing us. And just invite, you know, just to sit quietly with the Lord and say, Lord, where am I hurting right now? What are my wounds? Just one, you know, just one wound. And let the divine surgeon just sit with you. Go to work. Maybe scripture too, huh? So, you know, for those of us who maybe can't get to the Eucharist or... Right. Um, you know, just let the Lord look at you through the through the scriptures too. I know too. Like I think that the temptation, right, is and the the uh, the fear that we have is that the Lord is somehow repulsed by my wound, and, and the, He's not. That's he, a lie, right? So like He won't come near you. Like you know, He He's a He's He's put off by you. And in fact, um, I forget who it is that says, you know, just like water rushes to the lowest place on the ground god's kindness and his mercy it rushes to the person who's most in need so we don't have to be afraid uh, that the lord somehow um, disgusted by me or put off by me right it's exactly that and we and it's not our holiness that attracts mm. jesus to us it's our helplessness i love that and in order to understand how helpless we are we have to be willing to be vulnerable and humble enough to say, Lord, I, I'm desperate for your help. Mm-hmm. And to your point, it's our helplessness that compels the mercy and the love and the compassion of God. It's as if our ache causes him to lurch toward us. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Right. This is great. This is great. A little long. I love busting this open. Although I'm sure like there's nobody listening who struggles in the remotest way with anger. But in case there's one or two of you out there who are struggling with this, um, yeah, this is so good. Thanks so much for doing this. And just maybe maybe another passage, you, you offer the Good Samaritan, and you often tee this all up when you begin this day with the passage in Luke 4, which yes. is Jesus' inaugural address, you know, where Jesus just says, what has he come to do? Like, he has come to bring liberty to captives, um, to open the eyes of the blind. Freedom to the prisoners. Yeah, and, and, and that's who we are, right? We're captives and we're prisoners, and God has made us for freedom. And over and over again in the scriptures, and especially in this um, Lenten season, as we're conscious of the fact that the, the backdrop of what Jesus has come to do is the story of the Exodus, which helps us understand what the Lord has come to do. Namely, he has come to liberate us, not from some tyrannical dictator like Pharaoh. He's come to liberate us from nothing less than the kingdom of hell and from the grip of sin and death. And that's great news. And that's what this season's all about. And because all of this is true, do not be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this.